Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj Show. So today will be a very special day. I'm doing an impromptu podcast. I'm like running across the campus, and I actually wanted to do something because you know what the Dr. Raj Show is about. It's all about being yourself, being friendly. It's not only about dorky medicine. It's going to be about just wellness and, you know, good things, all wonderful good things. And a big topic is always going to be sleep. And everyone always wants to corner me and talk about sleep on the podcast, which I can understand. It's one of my favorite topics ever. So why is this a special day? It's because I have my first Instagram stalker. I think that's so great. No one ever stalks me. I don't know why you would. And she is my, my, my guest on my show today uh, because of the fact that she wanted to talk about sleep paralysis. And not only did she want to talk about sleep paralysis, it was for school. And I think that that is just awesome because I'm glad that people at all levels, whether it's going to be high school or undergraduate or graduate school, care about sleep. So I convinced this individual to come on my podcast, ask the questions to me, and I want to introduce you to what sounds like a really nice person. Her name is Julia Schiff. Julia, how are you doing today? Good. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. So, Julia, where do you go to school and uh, what do you plan to be when you grow up? That kind of makes me sound like an old person, but what are you going to be when you grow up? (laughs) So, I go to school at CU Boulder. And right now I'm actually just taking a semester off because of COVID with the classes online and I'm doing it at Cuesta Community College in California. Okay. I was a major in political science, but now I'm trying to switch it and I'm thinking about going into the real estate or journalism route. Now, now what year are you in college? Are you a a sophomore? Are you a graduating senior? Where are you? I'm a sophomore right now. Okay. Okay. And um, how's it been through this pandemic? I mean, um, did everything get put on hold? Did everything immediately switch to online classes? I mean, how are things going over there? Yeah, so it was my freshman year when the pandemic hit, and then they made us all leave the dorms and switch to online. So kind of with doing that, I was like paying out-of-state tuition for online classes was kind of insane. Oh no! Oh no! So <laughs> yeah. you said you said so you know out of state. So Julia, where, where are you from? Are you from Colorado? I'm from California, so that's why I'm doing the classes at California for this semester. Gotcha, gotcha. So let me ask you. I mean, I I think I can remember back when I was an undergrad. It's been quite a while. Um, how do you like the dorm life? How, I mean, how many months were you in the dorm before the you got to get booted out? We got kicked out in March, but I loved the dorm life. It was I messed. Some of my best friends I met there. So is it is there something known as the freshman 15? Is that real or is it is that a, just a rumor? 
You know, surprisingly, I started losing weight when I went to college. Was it that stressful? No, way less stressful <laughs> than high school, actually. The stress is way less than high school. Good, I don't have good, to worry good. about getting into college anymore. I'm already in. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about this class and why did you want to talk about sleep and, and sleep paralysis? So we are having to give like an informative speech on really any topic that we want to choose. And for me, I used to get chronic sleep paralysis all the time. So I found this a very interesting thing to talk about. And the first time it happened to me, I had no clue what it was. And I was terrified by it. My parents <laughs> believed me when I was telling them, thought I was absolutely crazy. And so I thought giving a speech on this for people, if they do ever get it, then I feel like if I knew what it was, I wouldn't have been as afraid. So that's kind of my goal for this speech. I like it. And let's let's jump in the time machine and go back to your first episode. And we'll just kind of cascade from there. And, and Julia, anytime you want to drop one of those specific questions you want to ask me, you just say, hey, Dr. Raj, let's just go straight to my questions. You have that option. But um, <laughs> so how old were you when you had your first episode? And can you describe it to me? So I was 14 years old and it was a night that I was staying up super late that night, just studying for school. And then I fell asleep on the couch downstairs and I remember just waking up and obviously like with sleep paralysis, you can't move and you can't speak. So the first thing I noticed was that I just couldn't move. And I, at that time was questioning, I'm like, am I paralyzed? Like, did I just wake up paralyzed is what I was thinking. And so then I tried screaming for help. And then I was like, oh my God, I can't even scream. No sound comes out. And so that was terrifying for me. And I don't know how long it lasted. Honestly, I feel like when it does happen, my perception of time is a little distorted and I can't really tell exactly how long it is, but then ended up coming out of it and was like, what just happened? So that time I didn't have any hallucinations. But in future episodes, I started to get hallucinations. Julia, you, you had me at a hello right here because there's so many things I want to talk about. Number one is that the theme isn't, hey, my isolated episode of sleep paralysis. We're talking about chronic issues. So I don't get as many patients that see me to say, hey, I'm having multiple episodes. And I think that kind of opens the door to a different conversation. Let's focus on the first the, the first episode. So just kind of closing my eyes while you're talking, I mean, I can imagine being a 14-year-old and you're awake and you can't move. I'm sure you're thinking, did I just have a massive stroke? Is there something wrong with me? That thought of just trying to yell out to your parents, but you can't I mean, am I just, is it an understatement by saying you are totally frightened and scared? Was that one of the worst feelings? I was absolutely terrified. Terrified. Yeah. Having people like that didn't know what it was talking to my parents or friends about it and having people just be like, oh, you were probably dreaming and stuff. And I was like, I can with certainty tell you that I was <laughs> open. I was like, I know this was not a dream. And so it was kind of like hard at first without people knowing what it was. So, so you told mom and dad, and I would do the same thing. You know what I mean? And so were mom and dad, were they the people saying, it was probably just a dream or has your parents ever experienced this before? So they were on your team. Were they on team Julia? Not at first. They had never heard of it. So it was multiple times that they were telling me that I was just having nightmares until it kept happening. And then they're like, okay, we should figure this out. And I found out from one of my friends that had sleep paralysis too. She's like, oh, there's a name for this. 
And so she told me what it was. I instantly dove into a bunch of research and became fascinated by this and have so many things that I'm excited to ask you about. Sure. And, you know, and it, it, honestly, it's amazing that when I do, you know, lectures about sleep, of course, you got to talk about insomnia, you got to talk about obstructive sleep apnea. But you know, there are so many things that people don't talk about or ask because whether they're embarrassed or they don't know what the name is, and it provides such, you know, a calming feeling that no, it's not in my mind, this is real. And this is why it happens. So before I forget, so let me just say that the thing that jumped out at my story was that you were studying for an exam that night when you were 14. So were you up late studying? Would I be making that up? Or were you having good sleep hygiene and going to bed and waking up at a good time? I, throughout <laughs> all of high school did have terrible sleep hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> like all the time I would pull nighters for school. A lot of nights it got me into habits where even when I didn't have schoolwork to do, I just couldn't fall asleep. Wow. And then even with having sleep paralysis become so frequent, it kind of made me even scared to fall asleep yeah. because it felt like almost every time I fell asleep at certain periods, it would happen almost 100% of the time. Sure. So, you know, when we talk about sleep paralysis, there's different ways to categorize it. I think one way to put it are going to be isolated episodes. And of course, they're going to be recurring episodes. Let's just focus on isolated episodes for the listeners today. So if you have an isolated episode of sleep paralysis and you're going to ask me what's the most common cause, well, it has to be being sleep deprived. That is going to be one of the most important things that can cause it. And, you know, if I was taking a board exam or writing a question for my sleep fellows, it would always be like a medical student or a law student or any student pulling an all-nighter. And because they're sleep deprived, they develop it. And so the question now becomes, Julia, why sleep de deprivation and causing these sleep paralysis? So what is sleep paralysis for everyone who's listening today? It actually means it's all about REM sleep. And what makes REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep, different than any other stage of sleep is because you lose muscle tone. You become paralyzed. And people ask, is that a good thing that you're paralyzed from sleep? And I would say yes. Why? Is because you don't want to be reenacting these vivid, vivid, vivid dreams. And if you're having vivid dreams of chasing pirates or running away from elephants, trust me, you want to be paralyzed. You want to be running through your house, <laughs> you know? And then on the other side, there are disorders out there, uh, Julia, called REM movement disorder. Now, that's not what this talk between me and you is about, but I'm going to let you know that there are people who have REM movement disorders where when they have these vivid dreams in REM sleep, their body is not paralyzed. And they're the ones that are reenacting their dreams. And like I'm joking with you that these dreams are not dreams of doing Sudoku and Scrabble. Those are those violent dreams. So there's definitely a balance. And the answer is you want to be paralyzed in REM. So when people have sleep paralysis, for all my listeners who are, are listening, it's going to be what happens is that disconnect with the brain and the body. The mind is awake, but the body is stuck in REM sleep. And what happens in REM? You're paralyzed. So how does that relate to Julia's story about pulling all-nighters and being sleep-deprived is because you know what? When all of us are sleep-deprived from pulling an all-nighter, whatever it is, you always want to make sure that you get back the most precious stages of sleep, such as deep sleep or REM. You get what's called that REM rebound. So next thing you realize when you finally get to sleep, you're hitting that REM. And the more times that you could wake up from REM, the higher the chances of getting this paralysis. So Julia, that's a classic, classic 
story about that. So let me ask you some questions. You didn't get the, the visual hallucinations. We'll talk about that. But uh, when you woke up, how was your breathing? And did you feel like someone was sitting on your chest, Julia? So the first time I was just, I felt like I was very heavily breathing, but I feel like I was just panicking and that was correlating to it, which I'm not totally sure. But in future times, I did have hallucinations where I felt like someone was on top of my chest and it was quite difficult to breathe where it felt like someone was pushing down on me. And I literally was like, oh my God, am I going to die or something like that? Like, yeah. not no. One question I have for you sure. about that sure. is a lot of people that I've noticed like through research or other people that I have talked to do experience similar hallucinations with someone sitting on your chest or just a presence of someone in the room or maybe like an out-of-body experience or floating. So what I don't understand about that is why do we all experience such similar hallucinations and why do the hallucinations happen in the first place? Oh, I love that question. You know, Julia, if you don't want to stop being a real estate agent, you can be one of my sleep fellows. How's that sound, dude? <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> so, so that's a very good answer. So let's talk about why are we having these hallucinations? So let's talk about REM sleep again. What makes REM sleep, you know, different from any other stage of sleep? Not only are you paralyzed, but you have the vivid dreams. Let me ask you this, uh, Julia, I'm going to put you on the spot right here and treat you like one of my residents. Do you know what okay. stage of sleep that you dream in? You dream in REM sleep, right? You do, but it's one of those trick questions. We actually dream in all stages of sleep. And when we talk about sleep, there's non-REM and REM. And non-REM has three, you know, subcategories, N1, N2, and N3. N3 is like a deep sleep. But Julia, have you ever woken up and you know you dreamt because you swear you dreamt, but it, your dream was kind of like in a, a VHS beta recording where you're like, you kind of remember it, but not really. It's very hazy. Have you ever had that? For sure. Yeah, that's our non-REM dreams. But when you have those vivid HDTV crisp dreams, yeah, they're probably happening in REM sleep. So when we talk about REM, because you get the vivid dreams, it's not surprising you get what? Visual hallucinations. Very commonly, you get visual hallucinations. In fact, when we talk about REM sleep, you know, your eyes are moving back and forth all over the place. Sometimes we say in the world of sleep, it's like you're watching a movie and that's why your eyes are going back and forth. But let me say this, is that why are you having these scary hallucinations is not only because in REM sleep, are you prone to have visual hallucinations, but your body wants you to wake up. They want you to move. It's scared. So what happens? Your mind goes into this hyper aroused state and it starts seeing things in the room like someone standing at the door someone who's going to be at the window, you know, and by having this, they want you to shock your body to wake up and move. So it's kind of a protective mechanism combined with what happens during REM sleep. And now let me throw this out there. Some of the visual hallucinations you can get really depend on what decade, what century is it? You know, so I would say in the 1980s, early 1990s, Many people were seeing aliens. Just trust me, Julia. Why? That was such a hot topic. And that was the whole thing about alien abduction. You see this figure in the room. It's scary. It's kind of human, but not. You want to scream, but you're paralyzed. Your body wants to wake you up. And that was a thought process. And so even if you take it all the way back to like Romeo and Juliet, you, there's the old hag, like 
all these little imagery that we think about really depends on what year it is. So let me ask you, Julia, what were some of the scary things that you saw when you had the sleep paralysis? So I've had a lot of just seeing where it's kind of like a dark shadow figure standing in front of you or something like that. Or the, I'd say the scariest was I did feel like someone was on top of me pushing down on my chest and then I was having a really, really hard time breathing. And then after that, it's like, I almost felt like my body was being dragged, which is what it felt like on my bed. And if I like was, cause you can move your eyes during sleep paralysis. So if I was looking towards like the wall and it almost looked like I could see myself moving beside it, even though I know my body's clearly not actually moving, but it felt so real. And it looked like that. And then it almost felt like I was floating up off of my bed after that. And I was like, this feels like being abducted by aliens or something. And so I know a ton of people have said that and like had theories about this. And I even had a psychic one time tell me something like that. And I was like, okay, like (laughs) so much medical research. I'm like, this can't be the case. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me kind of expand on that a little bit. So when we talk about being paralyzed in REM sleep, I mean, it's certain muscles are not paralyzed. Number one, the eyes, hence the word rapid eye movement. So when you mentioned you could still look around, that makes perfect sense because even in REM sleep, your eyes are moving. Also, you're breathing. We definitely can use the main muscle of respiration in sleep, which is the diaphragm. But, you know, when you talk about someone sitting on your chest, have you, in your research, ever heard about a painting known as the incubus? Maybe before, but I don't quite remember it. So remind me about it, please. So, I mean, you could do it right after we're done talking. If you type in the word incubus, you will see a, a painting of a woman that's laying down because she's sleeping with a demon sitting on her chest. And so, and she's having trouble breathing. So that is the classic imagery when we talk about sleep paralysis. Why is because... Why do you feel like someone's sitting on your chest? Why do you feel like you can't breathe? So number one, in REM sleep, this is the stage of sleep where we get obstructive sleep apnea the most. And in obstructive sleep apnea, there's a collapse, especially of the upper airway. You can't get air in and you can't get air out. So not surprising, you feel that kind of choking, you know, struggling to breathe sensation. Yeah. Also, during REM sleep, your breathing becomes very shallow. So you want to take that deep breath, but you're stuck in that shallow breathing and you can't open your upper airways. And what do we visualize? Like someone is sitting on your chest. And that's where that classic painting called the incubus came from. And that's why you're having trouble breathing. That's why we have visual hallucinations because our body, our brain goes to that hyper aroused state to really wake up, move. I just mean, you're hitting all the numbers right there. Let me ask you this. How spread apart were these episodes of sleep paralysis? And did you do any journaling to find out what were the triggers before you had the episodes of sleep paralysis? It honestly varied a lot. When I would, I would have it very frequently sometimes where it would be recurrent every time I fell asleep. And then sometimes I would be like, oh, it's been months since I've had it. And then I get it. 
And I think a lot of it might have had to do with when I was stressed and when I wasn't, which you could correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I did notice I got it mainly from freshman year to junior year of high school, and especially my junior year of high school. (laughs) And once I went into senior year, I started getting it way less frequently. And that's kind of when school was really smooth sailing senior year. And in college, I actually have only gotten it once since I've been in college. This is great. So I would say this is that, you know, back to what we're talking about, putting it into categories, isolated episodes and um, recurrent. So if people are going to be having recurrent sleep paralysis, I mean, what can cause that? And it's always going to be disorders that will cause you to have multiple awakenings, multiple arousals throughout the night. So what are things that will cause you to always be awakened throughout the night? Heartburn. What about that? And, ha- and, how-, and how is your diet? Are you eating those chocolate and tomato products and caffeine right before going to bed? Chocolate, tomato, and caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a lot of tomatoes and chocolate <laughs> sometimes. And caffeine usually only in the mornings, not really much <laughs> Good for you. So, of course, if you have if you eat late at night, you no know, rules of thumb of good sleepers going to be trying to avoid eating two hours before your bedtime. But when you do have that heartburn, what happens? Multiple awakenings throughout the night. I mentioned about sleep apnea. You know, when people talk about obstructive sleep apnea, and by the way, uh, Julia, have you heard of that disorder before? Obstructive sleep apnea. Yes, I have. Yeah. You know, I think people always stereotype that it's someone who's going to be overweight and they have to wear this mask on their face. But you know what, Julia, in a nice way, people with obstructive sleep apnea look like you and me. Why? Because where is the obstruction? It's going to be around the neck. So big tongue, tonsils, your uvula, your soft palate. So those are individuals where you think you'll never get it. But every time you have an apnea, which is no air coming in or out, you wake up, you wake up, you wake up multiple times. So what, so here, Julia, are, are you a big snore? I am not sure. I haven't been told that I snore, but I might. Am I, I going to have to call your mom and dad just to get the truth out of them? <laughs> Go call them right now. Um, I, I might, I'm not totally sure, maybe on a kitten, but I don't know. My boyfriend, I sleep with him in the same battle. He hasn't complained yet, but. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have your tonsils still or no? So I actually was supposed to get my tonsils removed and I never did because I used to get strep constantly. Tonsils are really way too large. (laughs) You know, and you know what? I think this is awesome. We're having this conversation because you're right. You know what I mean? In in younger, younger, younger people, you know what I mean? The question becomes kids can get sleep apnea and a lot of it's going to be the size of their tonsils. And the question is, is the best thing to do take him out or not? Now you may have it. You mean, I, I, I can't see your tonsils from here, but if you have big golf ball sized tonsils over there, you'll be surprised that you may have recurrent episodes where you have a choking, gasping at night, multiple awakenings throughout the night. But hey, it's a procedure. No one likes any surgery. But interesting you said that. So I assume you don't have any heartburn. I'm going to assume you don't have any sleep apnea, even though you, you do have those tonsils that you're telling me you're going to be taken out. And then there are other things that, you know, I think, you know, I talked to you for a few seconds when I was running across the campus and I asked you, hey, how sleepy are you during the day? And what, what was your answer? I didn't catch it. During the day, I would say... Because a lot of the times at night that I don't get a lot of sleep, I will be very tired. But I also do have ADD, which I am prescribed to Adderall. 
And so that obviously is a stimulant that'll keep you more awake. And so on the days that I do take it, I do feel less tired than I normally would, but I don't have like narcolepsy or anything where I have some sleep attacks. <laughs> Look at you. You just stole my thunder for that word right there. You know? I totally stole it. <laughs> you totally stole my thunder. So anyways, you know, and one of the, when we talk about narcolepsy and I'm a big advocate to talking about narcolepsy, I feel really bad. Many people are underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed. And like you were saying, Julia, that people didn't believe you about sleep paralysis. People don't believe narcolepsy exists. And it's really sad. And narcolepsy can be misdiagnosed when you're younger, you know, even younger than you for ADD, for depression, for so many things. And when we talk about narcolepsy, people with narcolepsy are not sleeping all the time. It's a big stereotype. They actually have poor sleep at night, and they feel sleepy during the day when they shouldn't. And they have what we call these accessory symptoms. I think the one that everyone always talks about on, on movies and TV is something called cataplexy, which is this loss of muscle tone when you're exposed to laughter and very intense emotions. But also sleep paralysis is associated with it. Having those visual hallucinations during the paralysis is associated with it. So, of course, if you're having recurrent episodes, I mean, I got to ask you about that. Um, but it is kind of a curveball that you're throwing me because, as you said correctly, hey, Dr. Raj, I can't really answer that because I'm, I'm taking a stimulant. You know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it's really hard for me to make the right diagnosis because indirectly, people are getting treated for narcolepsy, even though they don't have narcolepsy, you know? So yeah. it's tough, you know? So I think it makes your case a little more interesting, but I think when so, it comes, yeah. Oh, you go, you go, your turn, your sorry. turn. So what exactly <laughs> are like all the things that are connected to sleep paralysis, like the people that are most likely to get it. And I know people that are younger are more likely to get it also. And what are, do you know what the causes of it are of like how those are all correlated to it? Sure. So when I think about most isolated episodes in itself, isolated episodes are going to be about being sleep deprived, which is everyone nowadays. And the main mentality is going to be getting that REM rebound. You know what I mean? When you finally get a chance to sleep, you're going to go into REM. And the more times you wake up from REM sleep, the higher probability of getting an episode of sleep paralysis. Also, when your REM sleep is jumping around all over the place and who gets that? People who do a lot of traveling. So if you're jet setting across the country, don't do that with COVID, um, that <laughs> REM sleep will be all over the place. So then you can have those episodes. And many of my patients have had them when they're sleeping on the plane and when they woke up. Now, remember, sleep paralysis can happen in two ways. Number one, as you're falling asleep and as you're waking up. And those visual hallucinations could happen as you're falling asleep and as you're waking up. So we use doctor words sometimes to make it sound really cool. If it happens as you're falling asleep, we call that hypnagogic. It happens while you're waking up, we call that hypnopompnic. So the other thing that will cause sleep paralysis is going to be just things that will give you more chances of having multiple awakenings and arousals, things that really disrupt sleep. So my theme for you and everyone listening is that getting good sleep is really hard. And I think you know that it's about the quantity of sleep and the quality of sleep. Quantity is going to be somewhere between seven to nine hours, according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Quality of sleep is, are you going to those deeper stages? And your sleep cycle, it starts off with N1, then N2, then deep sleep, which is N3. Then you have your first REM cycle, somewhere between 
90 and 120 minutes. And then as you go towards the morning, you get more and more REM time. And that's why we say in the world of sleep that most of us will wake up to a dream in the morning because you have more REM sleep as you approach the morning. So all these things factor in when we talk about chances of getting sleep paralysis. And let me say one more thing. Also, alcohol can cause some sleep paralysis. So I'm not going to put you on the spot to get your mom and dad listen to this, but just in case you drink, what happens is alcohol knocks you out. That's what it does. So it shortens the sleep latency. But people who drink will get poor sleep the second half of the night because there are multiple awakenings and arousals. And that will give you a higher chance of getting sleep paralysis. Also, you said something that was really interesting. And it was about uh, your story. And it just kind of slipped my mind for a second, but it's going to come back in. But your turn. Questions that you may have. So I was also very curious, too, because... I feel like sleep paralysis is starting to get more attention now than when I first started researching about it. And I feel like there's so much more information I could find on it now, but it says that researchers estimate somewhere between five to 40% of people experience it. And five to 40 is very, very different <laughs> numbers. So I was very curious what that meant. Cause I don't know how many people actually do get this and how many people experience it once or chronically or how much do we know about that? No, and that's great. And the reason why there's there's such a spread is because I think it's underreported. Because, you know, if you're going to spend time to make an appointment with me, sit in the waiting room, wait for me to see you, I mean, these are going to be probably the big things. I have sleep apnea. I have narcolepsy. But for a lot of the sleep disorders, you know, jet lag, not many people make an appointment to talk about jet lag with me, but it's very, very, very common. You know, sleep paralysis, number one, people don't even know it's a disorder. So raising awareness is good. And, you know, people sometimes don't believe it. So I think it's underreported. I'll tell you one thing. I always like go around the country giving these talks. And, you know, I try to give examples of things that are are real that people don't really realize it's something that is not because it's in your mind. It actually happens. And sleep paralysis is one of those. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what a sleep start is otherwise known as a hypnic jerk no i don't so i mean right now everyone we can see each other the camera's on so i'm going to show you this tell me if this has ever happened to you julia as you're falling asleep just like this have you ever done this it's kind of like your body like shook all the time (laughs) see 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 now that could be the conversation like that and i'll tell you you don't have a seizure disorder this is something called a sleep start which is another sign of sleep deprivation, getting good sleep. And I think people won't make an appointment just to show me this shaking motion, but they they want that reassurance. They want to know it's not a restless leg syndrome. It's not something else. It's not, and like, oh, that's what I wanted to say is that you brought up one of the best points I've ever heard, which is you were starting to get scared going to bed because you were worried about having these episodes of sleep paralysis. Now that is huge, Julia, because that's insomnia. That's where you don't want to go to bed. You fear bedtime because you don't want this to happen. And many people will get secondary insomnia from this and will start doing bad habits to prevent sleeping or to fall asleep right away so this won't happen. So I think that's a key point and why it's important to raise awareness to not only just address the sleep paralysis, but to 
prevent people from go to getting that secondary insomnia. So good for you. Yeah, no, it even made me like scared to fall asleep in my own room at some points because that's where I did have most of my like scary hallucinations was in my room. And so then I started for some reason in my mind correlating it to sleeping in my bed that I was like, oh, what if my room is haunted or something? <laughs> I think I spent about two years of my life that I didn't sleep in my bed. I slept downstairs. Oh, wow. Couch for in a, like a guest room sort of that we just have a couch and a TV. And so I slept for two years down there. My parents were so annoyed about that. They're like, sleep in your bedroom. Like why? And I'm like, I'm scared to like, it just, no, it is quite a scary thing that makes you definitely afraid to fall asleep. No, uh, no, I'm so happy you, you solved this. So a couple more things before we call the day. This is your time. Any questions that you really had on your little notepad that you wanted to ask about? Anything we didn't talk about or banter about? Yeah, so you answered most of my questions already, but I was just wondering, like, what should you do when you're in sleep paralysis to maybe try to get out of it? Ah, so here's one of my advice for anyone, including yourself. I think that if you're getting recurrent episodes, you always have to ask the question, why? You know what I mean? And I think that one of the easiest things to do is journaling. Everyone's going to laugh. Everyone's going to roll their eyes. But we need to find out if there is a trigger. And I think that, are you not exercising that week? Did you eat, you know, chocolate and tomatoes without telling me? Did you have a final? Were you highly stressed? Is it during finals? And I think that's very, very important to kind of journal to give you that reassurance and give you some insight to what's going on. You know what I mean? And if you have the episode, you should write down, what did you dream about? What did you paralyze? What, what were you thinking about? I think all this will give you secondary reassurance. So if it happens again, you won't be as scared, but you were mentioning like time going very slowly. And that is classic. I mean, I just can't imagine being paralyzed. I'm sure seconds do seem like hours, but most episodes of sleep paralysis, we're talking seconds to minutes. It really doesn't. And I, I got to tell you, you know, I have some patients very similar to you and I didn't do anything except just give a name to what they were, their, their disorder, but that in itself makes them feel a lot better. And sometimes they just get, oh, oh let's just sleep paralysis again. You know, is that yeah, how, I mean, is that, how's it with you now? Are you like that? That's how it is now. Once I actually did my own research on it and understood what was happening and why my body was being paralyzed and everything, then every time it happened, I would just open my eyes and I would kind of be like, oh, okay, there's a shadow. <laughs> okay, I can't move my body right now. It's I'll, I'll be okay in a few minutes. Like I would kind of wait it out and be less scared of it when it happened. And I think, you know, if you're my patient, I love your storytelling. And I think that because you had it in the high school you know, in the freshman year, I think you're just normal. And I think that it's really hard to have a set bedtime, set wake time. It's hard to be very heavy or your sleep routine as you're going to bed because you're just human, you know, and especially during the pandemic, it's so hard to have a great sleep schedule. But those are the main things that you can do from our brief conversation together to kind of prevent those from happening because you're the first one to say, hey, I'll just pull an all-nighter for the sake and that will put you at a higher risk. Yeah, for sure. So, so what do you think? Do you have any more questions? Yeah, um, do you think you're going to get an A on this assignment because of this uh, conversation? I do think so. I think my <laughs> teacher would be very happy that we did this. <laughs> cool. Say, 
No, I'll see if I'll give a link to my class or something. Maybe they'll go listen to it. <laughs> I love it. Well, anyways, hey, I, I was only going to banter with you for a little bit, but now I, I think I pulled it to almost 40 minutes because you seem like a really nice person. And thank you for coming on the show today and just talking about your sleep paralysis. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, this is the Dr. Rod Show. I hope you guys enjoyed this special episode. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Mm-hmm.